Support for LAist comes from FX, presenting Shogun. Set in the year 1600, Lord Yoshi Toronaga is fighting for his life as his enemies unite against him. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada, Cosmo Jarvis, and Anna Sawai. Emmy eligible in all drama series categories. Support comes from Rancho La Puerta, a health resort 45 minutes outside of San Diego. Summer packages include fitness classes, hiking, live music, mindfulness, and culinary adventures with fresh fruits and veggies. RanchoLaPuerta.com LAS Studios. We could get one to two years worth of rain in a matter of a day or two. Here we had about a four-hour stretch of 40-plus mile-an-hour wind as Tropical Storm Hillary cut its way across Southern California right into the deserts here. Hillary is already smashing records for rainfall across California. We're going to catch a large population density off guard because this hasn't happened since 1939, the last time a tropical storm made landfall in Southern California. This is How to LA, the podcast that helps you navigate this city even after a storm. I'm Brian De Los Santos. We spent all weekend bracing for our first tropical storm in decades and... Hillary didn't get as wild as expected, at least in some parts of the region. There were events still happening like Splash House in Palm Springs and KCON in downtown LA, which we actually went to and we'll have a story for you later in the week. But we did get a lot of rain, about 7 inches in LA County. But even though the double disaster didn't quite match our biggest fears, we got a chance to see what our city's response would be to a major environmental catastrophe. So, how do we do? Well, it depends on who you ask. To get a better sense of it, we're checking in with some of our reporters at LAist. We have reporters in Catalina, Palm Springs, and encampments in the riverbeds. First up, LA County. Jacob Margolis is a science reporter with LAist. What happened is kind of what was expected. Um, you know, certainly in the metro areas, we saw, I think, like two to four inches of rain up in the mountains. It was heavier out in the deserts. It was also heavier. And so in terms of L.A. County as a whole, like the Antelope Valley got hit the hardest uh, because a lot of water was running off uh, the San Gabriels, you know, down into that area. And it's also a lower lying desert area, so it's more vulnerable. But for the most part, in a lot of locations, things have looked okay. I know across the city of LA in particular, um, there were some downed trees, there were some swift water rescues, and there were some debris flows, uh, as well as power outages. But there were no reports of major injuries, deaths, or major damage in LA in particular. And so that's wonderful. Uh, You know, we made it through okay. Yeah, I want to stress that I'm going to ask this question, not in a shady way. It's it's about safety. But, uh, um, (laughs) you know, some of my group chats, uh, some people on Twitter were kind of saying, really, it just feels like the winter storms from earlier this year. It's great that people were safe. It didn't seem like there was a lot of people driving, which is great. But some might argue that officials kind of overreacted. What's your hot take on that? 
So I actually called uh, the National Weather Service folks that I talk to around these kinds of events all the time one night at the end of a shift. And I was I kind of I've gotten to a little bit of we'll call it a discussion where I said, mm. look, like the rainfall rates that you're talking about, which are important because those can lead if they're high, they can lead to mudslides and debris flows. The rainfall totals you're talking about are kind of what we've seen with major atmospheric rivers over the past year. Mm. So why are we kind of saying this is a humongous deal? And what they explained to me was, and and I buy this, was that with an atmospheric river, it's happening over maybe like a 50-mile, 100-mile area, whereas this was happening over potentially 100-plus-mile area. So we had a lot of rain at once over a very large area area. And you can't really say which areas are going to flood, which ones aren't. Um, You know, infrastructure could get backed up anywhere. And like we saw in Sun Valley, you could have an intersection that's fairly deep that people get stuck in. And so I think it's appropriate for them to call things the way that they did, because we also did see some really strong bands of rain that dropped a lot of water at once, like over an inch of rain in an hour. The problem is if you have more people out there like getting caught in that water, then you have more rescues that have to go on. You have potentially uh, injuries and deaths, and you're putting emergency responders in harm's way. So I do not think that the calls for people to hunker down and kind of wait for what, I think it was like 12 hours or so is, is unreasonable. I think it totally was reasonable. I jokingly told a friend, I'm like, this is Mother Nature telling L.A. and the surrounding areas, (laughs) stay home for a hot minute, okay? Like, you just need to chill this summer. But part of that, like, messaging came through the phone alerts, right? Um, We got an alert right before the quake hit. We got flooding alerts. Do you know there was a certain strategy for that? Yeah. So those big blaring alerts that you get are called wireless emergency alerts. Um, and it can be sent out by a number of different agencies. It can be sent out by the county, their emergency agency. It can be sent out by fire folks. In the case of a lot of the alerts that we saw, it was sent out by the National Weather Service up in Oxnard, which covers San Luis Obispo south to LA. And when they send out those alerts, what they do is they actually go on their computer and they draw it like a polygon. They draw it an area that they want the alert to go out to. And they're going to be very generous with those alerts quite often because they don't want to miss an area um, in case like there is a flooded street or there is a small canyon that might flood or maybe burned recently and could have debris flow issues. And so they're going to, I will say, be broader with those alerts than narrower. We have run into issues in the past where <laughs> where some there have been like small cities that can send out those alerts to and they've accidentally blasted the entire region. Um, and so there are communication issues with the wireless emergency alert system. In my opinion, the system is also quite antiquated. It needs updating. It only goes out in English and Spanish. There's a lot of people that speak other languages here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are certainly issues with the system. That said, during an event like this where you could have major issues, you don't exactly know where, um, I personally, I do think it's appropriate to kind of blast across the region with these alerts. Another question that is coming up in my mind, at least, <laughs> and the team's mind is fire season usually starts to roll around in a couple of months. Are we out of the how woods? Did I phrase this? Yes. The woods, the chaparral, <laughs> the coastal yes. sage scrub that's going to catch on fire? All that. Uh, no. No. I mean, prior to the storm, we actually were seeing pretty decent moisture levels in vegetation uh, across the Sierra, um, even in our foothills here, which tend to dry out pretty well. This will give another decent boost to that. But, you know, I would guess that by October, definitely, especially after a lot of very uh, dry and hot Santa Ana wind events, which really desiccate a lot of those 
smaller plants, um, you know, shrubs up in our mountains, I, I think they'll be ready to burn. Um, maybe not catastrophically right away, but depending on when the rain comes back around, you know, we could get no rain. Like we could be rain free until next, uh, not even this winter, until next winter. It's happened before. Um, so we never say never. We're going right. to have to see what happens with the rain. If it does come along in November, uh, fingers crossed, it'll, you know, maybe we'll have bridged that gap um, over through our fire season. But people should remember our fire season here in Southern California, especially along the coast, less so up in the mountains, is definitely wind driven. And so when those Santa Ana winds come along, that's that's when you're going to see the big fires if they do happen. Yeah, no one likes those Santa Ana winds. All right, Jacob, thanks for sharing all the info. Yeah, stay dry, everyone. That was Jacob Margolis, LA's science reporter. Next up, let's go to the Coachella Valley and talk to LA's climate emergency reporter, Aaron Stone. You know, the rain really started in earnest afternoon on Saturday, and the flooding started really quickly. Roads are very low. A lot of the roads are used as flood channels. So as soon as the rain really started hitting, things started flooding really fast. I decided to get inside before the worst hit and kind of watched from the safety of my hotel from there. And it was just really windy, really rainy. Further south in the Coachella Valley, there was a lot more flooding, mud flow. In Cathedral City, just a few miles away from Palm Springs, there was some serious mud flow and flooding. Basically, all the areas they expected to flood, flooded, it seems like. But that's because the desert floods when it rains. Do you feel like it was much worse out there in the Coachella Valley? Palm Springs saw its heaviest daily rainfall totals. The biggest difference was it was just the amount of rain in such a short period of time. It's just a very different experience with this tropical storm because things just happen so fast. It's more about like the rate of rainfall, right? So like how mm. fast per hour the rain is falling. And that's when you really are getting this dangerous, dangerous flooding. The desert might be able to handle as much rain as it got yesterday over a whole year. But when it comes all at once, that's when it's really scary. But I, I think like once the numbers all settle, we'll, we'll have a better understanding. And one of the things that we do have to talk about as we talk about rainfall and the desert is that the soil doesn't really absorb the water as well as other regions. Can we get a little bit sciencey and talk about that? <laughs> I mean, where hurricanes usually hit, you know, like Florida and, and the East Coast, uh, there's a lot of green, there's a lot of grass, there's a lot of greenery that can help really absorb that water much more easily. So it, you know, hits the ground, it seeps in the roots, you know, seeps down into the roots. But when you have the desert, it's like, you know, if you have like a really caked dry piece of toast or something and you try to dump some water on it, you'll see that water just flood it, right? I mean, you can do your own little science experiment at home and that's exactly what happens in the desert. I mean, the, de the soils are just packed. There's not that greenery to help absorb excess water. So it's just there, it's prone to flooding. It's just part of the, the desert life. One of the things that I feel like officials try to do is put out as much warnings as they could via yeah. alerts or I don't know if they're still using Twitter now known as X to get out <laughs> the word. But did you feel like people were prepared? Yeah, it was a it was a real mix. I mean, I think one of the issues with these alerts is 
you know, people don't know how seriously to take them. It can start to feel like every time there's some kind of weather in the forecast, it's a catastrophe. A lot of the people that I spoke with, they were doing what they could to prepare. They were definitely expecting it not to be as bad as was being messaged to them. But most people were aware. They definitely got the message. Uh, Unhoused folks I spoke with were not nearly as aware and were really unsure where to go. So I really think it depends. Whenever there's extreme weather, we just see a lot of confusion and it seems to happen again and again. And it's really just going to be more of a challenge as we see more of this extreme weather with climate change. But thankfully, it sounds like so far we haven't heard reports of any major loss of life. But certainly there's going to be a really long recovery ahead. And, you know, it's really just tough because this area is seeing such extreme heat and such extreme issues. And then, you know, suddenly hit by this hurricane. And it's it's just a lot for people to deal with, I think. These cities, these areas are just not prepared for such an amount of rain. The housing here is not prepared in some areas is not prepared for that. The levees are not built to the same height as areas like L.A. Because even when the rain's heavy here, it doesn't get quite to that level that we might see in the mountain areas and stuff like that. One thing I do want to bring up is there's climate change and weather patterns are becoming more extreme. When people listen to the forecast, they kind of have shrugged it off. You know, where are we at now with these weather patterns and being able to have the ability to accurately forecast things like this? It's like now we take for granted the weather app, right? I mean, it's just like, ah, <laughs> uh, they're always wrong. You know, yes. like, the you know, the weatherman's the only uh, job you can be wrong so many times and still not lose your job. But <laughs> in reality, weather forecasting has really gotten a lot better. And it was originally developed as a life-saving measure because, yeah, just imagine if you had no warning whatsoever for these types of events. I mean, you would just be completely caught off guard. So really, I think we are entering an era where it's a challenge because people are so skeptical about the weather, especially here in Southern California, because it seems like the weather's always wrong. But I do think we have to respect the science behind weather forecasting and understand that it's actually gotten much better. And our seven to 10 day forecasts are far better than what they were even 10 years ago. Those three to five day forecasts are really, really getting quite close to being really accurate. With climate change, we're also gonna have to be getting used to the fact that weather can just change really quickly. We're not always gonna know exactly what's gonna happen. And we do have to understand that the forecast is rooted in a lot of data, a lot of science, a lot of people that know exactly what they're looking at and how to interpret. And it's something that has been finessed in order to save people's lives. I feel like every time there's a weather event, it seems like we're being told it's gonna be the end of the world. But I think at the same time, we're entering an era where we do always just have to be prepared for the worst. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst, right? If you live in a canyon or if you live in the desert or if you live in the mountain, just understand how water flows in that area. Understand the surrounding areas. Where's the water infrastructure that you live next to? Where's the public safety infrastructure that you live next to? And when you have a better understanding of that, you can be more calm in that situation to really understand directly how it's going to impact your little piece of the world, right? Your your own backyard, your own home. That is super useful information. Thank you so much, Erin. I appreciate your time. And thanks for checking in from the Palm Springs area. Of course. Thanks so much, Brian. 
That was Aaron Stone, climate emergency reporter for LAist. We'll be back after a quick break to talk about how the storms affected people throughout LA County who are unhoused. Support for LAist comes from FX's Shogun. Set in Japan in the year 1600, Lord Yoshi Toronaga is fighting for his life as his enemies unite against him when a mysterious European ship is found marooned in a nearby fishing village. Its English pilot, John Blackthorne, comes bearing secrets that could tip the balance of power. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada, Cosmo Jarvis, and Anna Sawai, Shogun is available for your Emmy consideration at fxnetworks.com fyc. Support comes from Rancho La Puerta, voted a top international destination spa by readers of Travel and Leisure magazine in 2023. Rancho La Puerta provides three, four, and seven-night summer wellness retreats for anyone who enjoys hiking, mindfulness, and fitness classes in a garden setting on 4,000 verdant acres of nature preserve. Check into summer at Rancho La Puerta, rancholapuerta.com. And we're back. So I was home when the first emergency alert lit up my phone. It said something like flash flood warning. And thankfully, I was already home, kind of getting cozy under my blankets with my laptop because, you know, the earthquake was happening. But when that alert came down, a lot of Angelinos didn't have shelter. LA's unhoused community reporter Nick Gerda has been talking with city leaders and advocacy groups to figure out how the storm and LA's response to it impacted our city's most vulnerable people. Yeah, so Mayor Bass's big message was, you know, stay indoors, stay safe. But as you mentioned, a lot of people in LA don't have that luxury. There's over 30,000 people living on LA streets, over 50,000 countywide. Officials say they did a lot of outreach out into riverbeds, places where people are the most vulnerable, to let them know the storm's coming, please you know, get indoors, get somewhere safe. But a lot of the communication about specific shelter beds and where those are available didn't come until much later as the storm was, was actually already underway. I actually want to play some audio that was shared by the advocacy group K-Town For All. It's the audio of an unhoused woman trying to figure out where to get shelter after she was told to leave the riverbed. Thanks for calling to One Wall Los Angeles. My name is Alejandra. How can I help you today? Hi, I'm looking for a hurricane shelter. Um, we don't have um, a shelter for a single adult. Do you have any children or are you pregnant? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah, uh, the county doesn't have any uh, emergency shelters for single adults. Um, so um, at this moment, we don't have that information available. Okay. Um, the, the sheriffs are, like, giving a message to the riverbed about, like, relocating. Um, where are we supposed to go? Uh, we don't have any information about places where you can go. Um, so we don't have that information available at this moment. Okay. Um, okay, well, thank you. You're welcome. Have a good afternoon. So this is what people were facing when they were trying to get help from, and this is the county. Yeah, that's that's a pretty stunning audio and really speaks to how people trying to find information about where to go uh, were not able to, to find out a safe place to be. This recording was posted on Saturday, and that was the day before the storm. 211 has responded to this and said that uh, information on available shelters just was not available at that point. 
The actual locations for shelters was put out by the mayor's office around 2 p.m. Sunday, and unhoused folks I've talked to say they didn't get any heads up until the afternoon of the storm, again, while it was already underway. I'd add as well, there's been some criticism about um, how many shelter beds were made available. There were maybe three or 400, but we're looking at over 30,000 people living outdoors in Los Angeles. So there's definitely been calls uh, in the future for there to be more beds made available for folks. You know, we know, we reported together on this podcast, how the homelessness issue in LA, it's kind of like woven with different agencies because there is like LASA, there's the city of LA, the sheriff's department. But from the outside in, it doesn't seem like the unhoused communities in LA were particularly served very well. I wonder if there was a misfire with interagency communication. Was it something of neglect? You know, I'm still early in my reporting on this. Um, It does seem there was a lot of effort, kind of scrambling by homeless service providers to get the word out. But still, it seems that there's really hasn't been a whole lot of of deep planning for what to do in events like this, even though the risk to unhoused people is pretty well known. So one of the questions I'll have going forward is what can be done better to plan this out and have shelters come online, or at least the information about shelters come online more, more quickly. Can you talk about the flood risks and what they mean for people who live on the streets? You know, it's it's a very different situation from someone who might have something on their driveway or a leak on their roof. It's very different circumstances. Can you talk about the, you know, the risks here? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a huge risk. People are really exposed when they're living in riverbeds and creeks. Oftentimes, these are dry areas and don't seem like a threat most of the time. But then when it rains, they become suddenly very, very dangerous places. In fact, unhoused people are the most at risk from flooding, according to L.A. County's own emergency hazard assessment report. The risk of losing their lives, but also their belongings, their medications, vital documents like IDs. Um, And again, while that risk is pretty clearly identified in in these assessments, it seems there's a, a real lack of clear plans for what L.A. officials should actually do to support unhoused folks when a storm comes. You said you spoke to people who are unhoused. Uh, What did they say? What did they experience during the storm? Yeah, I talked with one unhoused woman. Um, She gave her name as Grace. She described how she was left out in the rain, basically drenched in Skid Row the day of the storm on Sunday. It wasn't until the afternoon that she first learned about a shelter opportunity when a van drove by with officials in it and, and offered it to her. And she was very grateful for it. She was very happy to get temporary shelter for a couple of days. But she said there were people who were left out in the rain like her and did not know that shelter was available until very late in the game. And part of this like communication, I feel like advocacy groups always play a role in helping out. What have they been saying? There's been a lot of frustration from mutual aid groups that support unhoused people. They feel they've been essentially like left on their own to have to support people and provide tarps and other supplies to vulnerable people out there. And then they've also been frustrated by um, just feeling the scale of the response doesn't match the need. There's a frequent critique, too, that when there's a disaster that affects housed people, our governments are much quicker to make shelter available than when it comes to unhoused folks. The sense I've been getting from everyone I've talked to is we've really dodged a bullet here. The storm did not cause the level of injury and death that was feared. But it's really a wake-up call. As weather gets more extreme, we're likely to see a lot more flooding events like this, probably some that are are even more extreme, and that it's time to look at what our plans are and how we can better prepare going forward. That was Nick Gerda, LA's unhoused communities reporter. 
My name is Carla Orndorff. I'm a community organizer with Etna Street Solidarity in Van Nuys. Etna Street is about one mile away from the Sepulveda Basin, which always floods during big rainstorms. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to distribute tarps, zip ties, band bags, flashlights, work gloves, water, AA batteries, first aid kits, hot meals and snacks to help people kind of ride out the storm. 347 beds for 40,000 people. That's not a plan. That's not even a response. That's honestly a big FU to the tens of thousands of people who are forced to live outside. The things that we were able to do as community organizations who don't receive any type of funding or support have to crowdfund to get people into hotels who might be too elderly or too sick to survive something like this. That to me shows that deep disconnect that exists in our city and to us. 347 beds um, is, is a slap in the face. It's forcing people with little to no resources to fend for themselves. Okay, that's about it for us today. The sun's out this week, and it's going to be getting hot again, so get ready for that. By the way, we have more about those emergency alerts on our website at las.com. we be back here tomorrow, where we're going to talk to Jacob again about the fate of our Joshua trees in the desert. This episode of How to LA was produced by Megan Botel, Evan Jacoby, and Monica Bushman. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Catch y'all next time. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. One event can change a family for generations. I'm Emily Kwong, host of a new podcast from LAS Studios called Inheriting. It's about Asian American and Pacific Islander families and their histories. Join me for an immersive storytelling event at the Crawford in Pasadena. It's June 27th. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events.